Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Randy, and I'm ready to go. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, the reason Randy just did that and caused you all to have wrecks wherever you're at driving. <laughs> Probably. Is because we have to beg a very important question today. War. Yeah. What yeah. is it good for? <laughs> for Absolutely nothing. What? Wait a minute. Say Wait a again. minute. Wait a minute. Back it up. Back it up. You took it too far. See, we're trying to get the real answer here, and you went with the song answer, and we can't do that. <laughs> okay. I am not. I'm not willing to concede. Although just Eric Burden is awesome, dude. It's a great song. <laughs> uh, theologically accurate, maybe not. Um, but you know what? That's okay. Um, I hope we didn't lose you this far, but. So this is a podcast that we decided that we needed to do. It's not because we want to do it, because I don't think either one of us want to do it, because we don't necessarily have answers. The answers or we have some answers, but uh, it's just way too important. Everything that's going on, we have the Ukraine, we have other wars that, that we have forgotten about since everybody's looking through Ukraine. But they're still out there, too. Uh, we talked about Nigeria a couple of weeks ago. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, the I Christian mean, persecution episode yeah. was a lot heavier than I expected. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I knew it was going to be, but I, I learned a lot. And there is open war in those countries. It's oh, yeah. Civil war, not north against south, but one religious uh, faction against another religious faction. Well, okay, and let's add this. I mean, we are a nation born out of war, and therefore... Aren't all nations born out of war, though? Sure, sure. I think they, well, are, are all nations? I don't know. Maybe maybe a, maybe a blanket statement we can't make just yet. It's but, possible. But I'm trying to think, and I'm, I'm going to say the vast majority. I'm going to say yeah. the vast majority, but I think that's why... Nations put so much emphasis on the importance of war um, as a tool of, like, freedom, right? And I think that's kind of how we look at war here in America. We look at it as, like, war is this thing to keep us free. And I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying it means that if that's how we look at it, we need to know why we look at it that way. We need to know if war is a good thing. If it's bad, we need to know that. How do we jump into this? We go biblical. That's how we do everything here. We try and go straight to what scripture says. And man, we are going to be jumping all over the place. And part of the issue here, especially for Christians, uh, it, it, there is a very common perception, and it may be somewhat accurate, that war in the Old Testament and war in the New Testament are perceived very differently. You know what I just realized? What's that? I left my notes on my desk. So, Randy, you're going to keep talking. I'm going to go run and get them really quick, and I'll be back. Interesting. Okay. Um, I did look up the word war in the Old Testament. It occurs over 300 times, and it's all through the Old Testament, predominantly in the historical books. But you'd kind of expect that because it's talking about Israel and uh, Israel's fight to survive, they definitely had to to struggle to uh, stay alive as a nation. And struggle is war. So, uh, yeah. 
What did so, I miss? in conclusion, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. So while you started talking, I started writing here. Um, it might be good if we would just identify what the questions are. Is war bad? Is war bad? Yeah. Right. And let's talk about the Old Testament, New Testament shift. Um, specifically, is the God of the Old Testament, uh, the warring God of the Old Testament, the same as the loving God of the New Testament? Mm -hmm. And if he is, then why does he look so different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? I think that's a fair question. Um, I think another question that we have to address during this time is... Does Jesus promote carrying a weapon? Okay. Is violence okay. permitted? Um, because, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know that Jesus says a whole lot about war, but he does talk a little bit to his followers about how they're to use weapons or not to, well, whether or not to carry weapons. Right. That's kind of what it boils down right. to, right? Um, we'll we'll kind of go there. Uh, we have to look at the Old Testament as far as, uh, the view on murder, the view on killing, right? If, um, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. But King James has an interesting translation of the Ten Commandments that I'd like to talk about. Um, we can talk about that right now if you want. That may be the root of this whole thing. Oh, let's let's go there. Um, there, the, there is one other question that I do want to kind of throw in there, and that's capital punishment. Where does that fit in all of sure, this? Sure, sure. That and that fits into my my question right now, actually. Okay, so, so let's hit it. So what's the what what's the commandment of the Ten Commandments? There's one commandment that we often say, "Thou shall not kill. kill." Right. That is not a good translation. Interesting. Uh, the actual word is uh, uh, "rasak." I think is how okay. you say it. Okay. Um, that's my my pitiful Hebrew pronunciation. Uh, that is the word there that gets translated in the King James Bible as mur or as a kill, but the word is better translated as murder. Okay, it's, so what's the difference between kill and murder? Okay, so let, let's go this route. Let's not answer that just yet. Okay. Understand that the word rasach, which yeah. here is murder um, or kill in your King James Bible, is never used in reference to war. Interesting. Okay. okay. It is always the unjustified killing of someone, whether accidental or not. Because the Old Testament does talk about, and talking about capital punishment, um, we do see in the Old Testament, and where is it here? Uh, is it Exodus 21? Let's jump over there real quick. 21, 12 through 14. <clears throat> It says, uh, we're going to do this in the NIV because that's just easy. Uh, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. So it's basically the difference between murder and manslaughter. If this was an accident, then mm -hmm. there's uh, there's something else that can be done. But right. if it's murder, he can even be in the, in the temple. You drag him out. Well, so understand, though, I mean, 
here's the deal. It's premeditated either way. And that's why it's getting the word murder. It's premeditated. The goal may not be to kill them, but the goal is to do bodily harm. And if that kills them, you're to be put to death. If it's an accident, if you didn't mean for this to happen. If this was not premeditated. If this was not not premeditated, right. Then if, if it's not premeditated, then it's still murder. But it is accidental murder. So, yeah, sure, manslaughter. It is the Hebrew word for murder. murder. Um, it's the same word. Hebrew doesn't distinguish between manslaughter and murder. Right. It's English just, does. Exactly. So, yeah. so basically manslaughter would be the accidental murder of exactly. someone. Exactly, yeah. Whereas Hebrew, it's just saying murder and accidental murder, basically. Right, right. Um, and so if, uh, if that happens, then you can flee somewhere. Uh, and then it gets into all what that looks like. We're not going to go there today. The right, point right, is, right. if you intentionally kill someone, the governing authorities are to kill you back. So uh, last week I was doing a devotional and it came up. There's an entire chapter dedicated to laws that merit death. And so naturally I had to address the question of capital punishment. My take was that God authorizes the state to uh, do capital punishment. And he never says why, but you get the idea that it's it's intended to be a deterrent. Uh, let's get this out there. Uh, if you do this, uh, you're going to die. So don't do that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, like, are, are you talking about from like an Old Testament perspective here? Yeah, yeah. I was looking through Deuteronomy. It's a passage where... Uh, someone who commits adultery pays with their life. A rebellious son, a son that says, a, a, a son that insults father and mother, refuses to obey. They take him to the city gate mm-hmm. and they stone him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta understand too. I mean, what God is doing at that point in time um, is he's, he's trying to make Israel this beacon of light to this dark world. And so you got to have everybody on the same page to do right, that. Right. You got to look different than everybody else. And part of that is knowing that if you mess up, you're going to die for it. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, like that sounds really harsh and really cruel to us, but I mean, the circumstances were pretty harsh and pretty cruel. That's right. So like you got to kind of match your environment. Um, that's not to say, that's not to say that I think that God's law is somehow like not relevant today. I don't think that. Right. Um, I think we have different ways of dealing with stuff in our cultures. Um, But I I personally believe God's law is still God's law. Yeah. Um, That we are to still follow that. We're still called to follow that. Christ's grace picks, uh, I don't want to say picks up where we fail. That doesn't doesn't come across correctly. Um, But but the fact that we do fail at God's law. Right. Christ covers that by his... Right, his grace right, does. Right, right, Well, one of the things that I tried to make a point of saying in, in the devotional is that uh, if you ask the question, uh, does God uh, want capital punishment? That's really kind of the wrong question. Right. No, he doesn't. He never wants capital punishment because he doesn't want the person to have committed the sin that merits capital right. punishment in the first place. That's just but the world God we chose. God authorizes capital punishment. And he does that because we live in a broken world. Right. The world we live in 
is not the world that God wants us to live in. It's the world we picked for ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Because it's, of sin. It's the world we wanted, That's not the right. world God That's wanted. Right. And now he's trying to fix the world that uh -huh. we made. Um, well, so he made it in his image, then we kind of hijacked it and tried to make it in our image, and that's where all this bad stuff comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, is murder wrong? Yes. And it should never happen. Is justified killing an acceptable solution to certain issues biblically? Yes. Yeah. Does God, God authorizes it? it. God authorizes it. It's never what he wanted, exactly. but sometimes it's what has to happen in exactly. a broken world. Does God want war? Absolutely not. He does not want war. But we live in a broken world where war is reality. So because we deal with it, God has to deal with it. Right. And I do want to clear that up in a bit. Um, I don't think that we're just going to walk away from this and like not explain why we believe that. Uh, because I think I do, I do watch certain uh, Christian explanations of of murder and, and difficult issues like this, where it's like, well, yeah, but you know, God doesn't want it, but that's just how it's got to be, and then they leave it there, and they don't really explain why that matters in the world. Can we kind of hash that out a little bit and talk about why it matters to to put someone deserving of death to death? Yeah, is, is that fair? Yeah, go for it. I I, I think. The reason, um, uh, to answer that, I think we have to look at Romans 13, 8 through 10. Yeah. Um, it says, Owe no one anything uh, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay? That's how we're supposed to live. But what we just saw there is if you do murder, if you do steal, if you do commit adultery, if you do covet, you are not following God's law. Mm -hmm. Now, the punishment for all those things isn't death. Um, yeah, like theft, you know, the punishment's not death. It's to repay, right? But... For the fact of murder, you're taking the life from someone else. Right. We are to uphold life. We are to preserve life as Christians. We are to be light and life to the people around us because that's what Christ is to us, right? And so if me having to – and I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking this – the route of like self-defense and I, I don't mean to like take it there just yet, but like if somebody breaks into my home, biblically that is permissible that that person's put to death. And we can talk about that verse in a minute. But if somebody breaks into my home, they may be coming to kill my family, right? I don't want my family to die. I will defend my, my family. And if taking that person's life is what I have to do to defend my family, that's loving to my family, even though it means that person dying, but that person needs to know when they come in my house with the intent of, of hurting somebody that they forfeit their, their right to life at that point. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening biblically is God is laying out the law, not just for a, 
oh, this is what you do in case these people do this. This is for everybody to know that if you do this, you have forfeit your right to right, life. Right, right, If you right. do this, this, or this, this is the circumstance you can expect to happen. If you steal something, expect to pay it back. That's why it seems to me that this is intended as a deterrent. Now, whether it's effective or not is another question. But the intent, uh, the intent in the Old Testament, the intent today is that when we understand these things, we say, okay, well, I'm not going to do that then. It might be good since we brought this up. What is that verse? Do you have it there in uh, front of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, da, 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 da. The uh, Exodus 22, two. About breaking and entering. Right, that's yeah. the one. That's the one. Let me jump Because, you know, that's kind of a hot topic. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. But if it happens in the daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. Mm. So That's worth adding. I mean, that is worth adding. At at least then you see more of the intent of the thief, whether... You know, he's just accidentally breaking into your house or uh, thought it was his house or I, I don't know. I, well, okay. I'm going all kinds of directions there. Well, I? is it safe to say, though, that if somebody's in your house in the daytime, nobody's sleeping? Yeah. Therefore, yeah. he's probably not there with the intent to and kill. probably kill. nobody's there. Everybody is out exactly. doing the stuff that they need to do. So we have to take that stuff into consideration, too. This may be less about murder or like defending your household in the daytime than it is about there there's a difference between coming in to hurt people and coming in to steal something and if somebody comes at night you're pretty sure that they're coming in to do you bodily harm sure they know there are people inside and they're sleeping and especially in the kind of houses that they would have had one room house everybody's in that house the one room that's that's the living room, that's the dining room, and that's the bedroom. So mm-hmm. if they're coming in, they know there's people in there, and they're going to force those people to submit by force. So, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so protect yourself. Protect yourself, uh, or protect your family more more or less as well. Yeah, um, that, yeah. That, that's the idea here. Um, and I mean, I think that that's a that's a common thread throughout scriptures. To you know to seek the benefit of the people around you before yourself. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say that, you know, Jesus often looked out for the people around him before he even did his own well-being, and we should do that too. Yeah. So, we hit capital punishment there. We hit, is war and murder the same thing? No, they're not. They're different. Killing and murder. Killing and murder. But but correct, yeah. I guess war and, uh, war is always related with, Justified killing, never unjustified right, murder. Right, right, right. Um, what was the what was another question we'd written down? Well, um, kind of related to this one, and and uh, yeah, kind of related to this one is a question that we actually didn't ask, but it but it's an important question. So, in the Old Testament, um, frequently, at least more than once. Israel is told to kill everybody. Yeah. They go into one city and the Lord says, kill the soldiers, kill uh, all of the fighting men, which in a country that doesn't have a standing army, that's basically anybody who 
is of an age that they would work. Kill the old people, kill the women, kill the children. And there's at least one case where the Lord says, kill the animals as well. Hmm. So uh, that's called a harem war. That's, uh, uh, we're used to seeing jihad. It's, it's kind of the same concept. It's a holy war. But uh, you would kill everything. We don't do that today. In fact, um, people who do this are branded war criminals. Right now, we have conversation going on about uh, the indiscriminate killing of civilians in the Ukraine and people alleging that Putin is a war criminal and, and should be brought to trial as a war criminal. Um, it's kind of because somewhere in the middle of the, of the 20th century, uh, what's the city? Uh, uh, everybody kind of got together in one city and they made sort of a standard of civilized war, rules of warfare, and civilians are supposedly off limits and uh, stick up to these uh, standards and it's okay, and uh, go beyond well, the standards, and look it's at not. The, look at the Civil War. Look at how we went about it. I mean, or, or the Revolutionary War. I guess the Civil War, we started to employ more like uh, guerrilla tactics. Yeah. But, but that was kind yeah. of the beginning of that, wasn't it? That, I mean, up until that point, you had two groups of people would go up and kind of stand in a line and just shoot at each other. Right. And it's right. like... What? <laughs> like, well, but it was but, like civil civility was almost important even in war. One of the one of the main reasons I think the North won the Civil War, uh, all of the generals before Grant that tried to fight against Lee tried to outwit him, and they couldn't. Robert Lee was just a just an incredible general, and even when he was outnumbered, he would win the battle. Then Grant came along and said, oh, we've got like five times the soldiers. Let's take all of these men from here, and we're going to move them there. So he told Sherman, do whatever you need to do. Sherman drove a line straight through the south, burned everything. He burned Atlanta. It was it was a horrible thing. It was... Uh, it's war. It's war. It's war. There's this line in The Princess Bride when the man in black is, he's pursuing the kidnapped princess. And uh, Fellini, or whatever his name is, tells the giant to stay behind and kill the man in black. And he comes around a corner and a great big rock smashes by his head. He looks around, the giant's standing there with the rock. And... Uh, he says, uh, I could have killed you. And Man in Black says, I believe you. What do we do now? He said, well, you put down your sword, and I'll put down the rock, and we'll fight each other like God intended. And the Man in Black, looking at the giant, who's like three times his size, says, you mean I put down my sword and you put down your rock, and we kill each other like civilized people? <laughs> That's kind of the idea. Right. Uh, yeah, we're going to do war, but we're going to do it in a civilized way. Right. Um, 
War just isn't civilized. No. I mean, it's it's brutal. It's horrible. It's, ne- like we said, it's never what God intended. Right. But sometimes it's the only, and even, I think we've talked about this a bit, the most humane way of dealing with the problem. So here's a book, The Problem of War in the Old Testament. It's kind of a classic. It's by Peter Craigie, who is an Old Testament scholar. He was also a military man. Hey, hold that back up. You're going to zoom in on that? Bingo. Bring it over a little bit to your right. Yeah. All right, cool. That's it. (laughs) You got it. You got it. Okay. So one of the things that Craigie says, he makes this point about war being incredibly uncivilized. And he said, inevitably, what would happen when you don't have a standing army and all of the men of your nation go out to battle? If all of the men are killed in the war, what does that leave behind? It leaves behind a nation of children and women. Anyone, any one of their neighbors can come in and just, whenever they want, they can uh, take whatever they want. They can take the possessions take the flock, take the take the land, take the women, take the children into slavery. Craigie said one of the things that we need to recognize is that killing everybody may have been the most humane thing. It's over and done with when the war is done. There's not an ongoing lifetime of slavery and, and uh, abuse and so, victimization. So I... I don't know. I've thought about that a little more. Yeah. Okay. I don't know that I'm willing to concede to that. I'm not sure I am too. That sounds awfully and, brutal, but I understand what he's saying. Well, here's here's my argument on why I don't agree with it. So everything he just said for why that's okay is the same argument we use on why abortion is never okay. The the arguments for abortion are, well, what about if it's incest? What about if that child's going to have all these health problems their whole life? What if they grow up as uh, in an adoption facility in the system forever? And then we turn around and we say, well, wait, no, it's better to live at all than to live to not – or uh, it's, it's better to live with a hard life than it is right. to not live at all. And then he's turning around and he's saying, no, 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 no. It's better to, to be dead than to be a slave. Okay, no, I disagree. Um, I think, I personally think, the point of the Old Testament is God's focus is Israel and Israel succeeding so the Messiah can come and save the whole world. And pretty much every time that the Lord says, kill everything, kill all the old, kill the women, kill the children, he goes on to say, because if you don't, Mm You will follow their gods. They will tempt you, and you will worship their gods. You'll follow their gods, and then their children, generations later, are just going to come back and war with you. And that happens over and over in Scripture when Israel doesn't kill every man, woman, and child. They end up taking stuff for themselves, or they take the wives for themselves, and it breeds these problems within Israel. And yeah, exactly like you said, they start worshiping their gods, their cultures start taking over. God is trying to preserve his perfect culture and he's got to keep it from the rest of the messed up world until the Messiah comes. Yeah. 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 That I think is the more like biblically 
sound reason. And and it's actually stated in scripture. Yeah. So you yeah. can't go too far wrong with that. Sure. And I don't think that you said his name's uh what was his name? Craigie. Craigie. Philip Craigie. I don't think he's like way off his rocker with that line of thought. I right. just think it's kind of a weak argument as far as then when you bring the abortion argument in, I think that crumbles. Right. And and to be fair, I remember reading that argument in here. I don't know if he was quoting somebody else and saying, "Oh, that could be." Here is an argument, or if he was saying, "I believe this." That could be. So that could be. We still love you, Craigie. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. If I He's probably dead by now. This okay. book was written in the seventies. We so. still love you, Craigie's family. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, oh, he's a great scholar. What else we got? Well, so what about the Old Testament New Testament shift? Ah. Uh, is the God of the Old Testament the same God as the God of the New Testament? Yes. Short answer. Spark Notes version. Yeah. I literally said that the other day in middle school. I was like, give me the Spark Notes version. And they looked at they me no with idea dead blank they. stares. I was like, seriously? Come on. See, back when I was in school, it was the Cliff Notes. Cliff so Notes. Sure, sure. Changed, yeah. I've used both. Okay. Yeah. Well, dude, they're online too. Yeah. And it's great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... If it's the same God, why does he look so different? Why in the Old Testament does he say, kill them all? And in the New Testament, he says, love your enemies. Well, what what was God's purpose through Abraham? I think that's the, that's the question. That Abraham would have sons and that Abraham, Abraham's family would be a blessing to all the nations. Yeah. So yeah. God's intent is to bring about a time when all the ble- all of the nations are blessed through Israel, through yeah. Abraham. But if God lets these other nations kill Israel, right. How can they be a blessing to all the nations? So once Christ comes, that is that's the fulfillment. That's the that's when that blessing extends to all nations, and I mean, you kind of got to go a little bit Heiser with it. Michael Heiser's route with like Jesus taking back all the nations from all the the little G gods mm-hmm. and and claiming them back to himself, right? So that now Christ is the authority over all nations, yeah, and that He is extending His blessing of eternal life to everyone, and He's not just looking out for Israel. And, and I. Th- think encapsulated in that answer is another level of answer, the one that I've kind of referred to when, when we talk about this. In the Old Testament, there was a kingdom of God, and it was pretty much identical with the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Israel was to be God's people. They were his possession. So when... Uh, the the force that expresses uh, belonging to God is a nation, things are just a little bit different. Somebody attacks the nation, it's the nation. God himself gets involved in that war. God himself rained down fire and brimstone on Israel's enemies. God himself stopped the moon and the sun, so Israel to have enough time to defeat the enemies because they were his people. Mm-hmm. You come to the New Testament, it's a little bit different. 
no single nation is God's people. Instead, God's people right. is a transformed community. Yes. So here we sit, members of the kingdom of God. We can be American or we could be British. And so you have this, uh, during the Revolutionary War, you know, I've never researched this, but I would assume that you would have strong Christians on both sides of the battlefield. Absolutely, I'm sure. Uh, sure. Fighting and, and shooting at and trying to kill each other. Um, I do remember seeing things during World War II about uh, there was some real uh, unusual kind of a thing that happened on Christmas or Christmas Eve when uh, one side was singing Silent Night, I think, mm -hmm. and the other side, not too far away, joined in. It might have been World War One when they had trench lines. Yeah, but... the, they stopped the they stopped the battle for a time. And yeah, they, they sang together. They actually sang, which together. is yeah. just so confusing and beautiful, and and yet it embraces the reality that we are dual citizens. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, but I'm also a citizen of the United States. Right. Um, oh, man. There's so many rabbit holes we have to go down to to talk about this. Yeah. Because, like, I, I, I agree with you. Like, so uh, to add to what you just said, like, when you look at the Old Testament and, like, I know I get tripped up on, like, the Michael Heiser stuff, but it's because I think he's right and I haven't heard anybody give me a good reason why he's right, not. Right. Um, but, like – you look at this idea that all the nations belonged to these sons of God, these little G gods, right? Um, and all throughout scripture, you get these little hints that like there is legitimate spiritual warfare going on between the nations. Oh yeah. Like all the other nations versus God's people. Like you well, see this idea over and over again, Daniel, when he's in prison, um, this, the, the, uh, the angel of the Lord, and I, I think we've kind of argued yeah, a little bit whether or not that's that. actually the right. angel of the Lord or not. Right. It's written a little funky. But the, an angel comes and says, look, I've been doing battle with the, the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia, yeah. And he said, I'm sorry, like he was, I was held there because I was doing battle. It's taken me a little longer to get here than I, I thought it would. Um, and like I, I love that idea that like there's a real war going on yeah. kind of on a different veil of reality. Well, that was when all the nations were handed over to all these other gods, the little G-gods. Uh -huh, I have to uh -huh. keep saying that, sorry. Um, now they're all under Christ. And we all belong to Christ now. In 1 Samuel, you see a physical representation of that. When Israel went to battle the Philistines, they carried the Ark of the Covenant in front of them because God was marching with them to right. do battle. And when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, put it in, I told you I'm reading the Dictionary of Demons. and yeah, Dagon, Dagon. Dagon, Dagon's a D. I'm up to E now. So I read about Dagon. Really interesting. Uh, they call him a fish god. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's dubious whether he had a fish head or he was just a god that was the god of fish. fishermen and fish. But when they put the Ark of the Covenant in there, he woke up, or the next morning when they came in, 
Dagon was prostrate before the Ark of the, the Covenant. The statue. The statue was. Yeah. They put him back in his place, and the next morning, his body was outside. He had been decapitated, and his head was prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. Which, and then they said, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and to go kind of off topic there, I mean, the reason they did that, the reason uh, that the statue falling was so important is followers of idols actually believed that the gods lived in yeah. the statues that they made of them. Yeah. So that was like a legitimate slam on Dagon. And this is what they would do when they would capture uh, the icon of another nation. Mm-hmm. They'd put it in their God's temple because this was a God he had defeated. And it's like the Lord was saying, yeah, I'm just passing through, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was not defeated. And I'm going to keep knocking over your stupid fish statue. <laughs> yeah. um, but... Yeah, yeah. So, like, oh. so there's very real confrontation between gods there, right? But we got to bring it back though, because like we're talking about war, and so everything we're saying, it could sound like we're saying there's no room for war, and I don't believe that either. I believe that today, all the nations have been given their authority by God. All leaders of nations have been given their authority by God. Whether they're good or bad, they were put in place by God himself. It's all ordained, right? That's biblical. You can, you can quote me on that one. Um, but if a nation is not abiding by God's law, if they are living contrary and trying to push agendas contrary to the word of God, God's people are not to stand idly by and allow it. Right. That is not to happen. Right. That we are to submit um, to the authorities, right? But if the authorities have been, what's the word? I'm like corrupted, corrupted, and and made into these ungodly leaders. They they're not to just be able to push us around and tell us what to do. Um, and, and I'm not saying that means we just rise up and go to war every time that happens. But I am saying there's a time and a place when sometimes that does turn to war. And I don't think that's bad. Well, you quoted before Romans 13, this whole section from verse 1. I think you read verses uh, 8 on. Really, the whole chapter deals with Paul saying, respect the earthly authorities. Right. Um, when Rome, when Romans was written, was probably the early years of Nero. Mm-hmm. The later years of Nero, he killed Paul. He beheaded Paul. Right. Paul says respect him. <laughs> right. But I don't think Paul's saying agree with him. Oh, definitely not. Right. And what did what eventually happened to Rome? Rome became a Christian nation. Yeah. So And then it fell. It, 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 it did became fall. became corrupted. It did exactly. Um so it it's tough. Like if our nations go to war. Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. Probably more often for bad reasons. We are to abide by what our government tells us. Like, if you're a soldier, go to war. But I think the reason you go to war matters. Like, I I was thinking about this. Like, biblically, there's no greater love than the one who lays down his life for his friends. Right. 
there are many, many soldiers today at war with that mentality, perfectly ready to give yeah. their lives, to protect yeah. their nation, their families, their friends back home. That is admirable. That is loving. There is no greater love than that, the Bible says. There are also soldiers that join the military to go kill as many bad guys as they possibly can. Right, right. And the Bible tells us that we're not up against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, which means that no matter who you're looking at, they're not your enemy. They're not your enemy. You shouldn't want to kill them. You shouldn't want them dead. You should want to bring peace to the world. You should want to bring light and love to the world, not death and violence, even when you've been told they're the bad guys because right, the right. news or your government told you that. Um, it's it's the ideas behind those people. It's right, the it's the right. the, uh, the governments above those people. Those can be our enemies, but never people. I remember a quote, and I'm not going to get the quote right, but the idea of it was that politicians and governments have causes, but the soldier on the front line is fighting for his friend. He's right. fighting to keep his buddy right by his side alive. Right. Right. Because, I mean, they didn't – no soldier asks for war. They end up in it. I don't want to say no, but I mean like I'm speaking broadly here like – most people just want peace. They just want to be left alone. They just want to be with their family. They just want to have a good life and, and not be messed with. Right. And we get drug into stuff over and over and over again. And most of the time it's for money. It's for oil wars. And you know what? Today, man, I don't trust a thing any government tells me because I have watched the last few years on the news and it's a train wreck. Everybody's lying all the time about everything. And so the question is, how do we even know what to believe in the world today? Right. So how can you stand there so confidently and say, oh, well, that nation over there is the bad guys. Look, right. unless that nation is just the most anti-God, like we're anti-God these days. Our whole nation is like, we're not a Christian nation anymore. So it's like, I don't necessarily understand how one nation can claim like, Christian superiority over another when right. they're also corrupt these days. Right, right. We got to just be God's people. If we go to war, go to war. But so let's come back to the question that started us down this rabbit trail: the Old Testament, New Testament difference, the tension there. So in the New Testament, we're what we're basically saying is in the Old Testament, things were different because Israel was a nation, also God's people. So. For God's people to fight and struggle meant a physical fight. So they were to go to war. What about today? Is there room for a Christian to join an army and go to war? Sure. Okay. Is there room for a Christian to say, I don't believe I can kill anybody. I am a conscientious objector. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, it, it's it's more a matter of I don't it's not glibly personal choice but it's what each individual is kind of looking at and focusing on maybe I don't know. Look though, I will I'll I'll take it a step back though. When you say I can't kill anybody, I mean I see a difference between I can't sign on for this, like I can't. I can't in my heart go to war when, like, I don't know that I agree with this biblically. Right. There's that route. Right. But then there's the, somebody breaks into my house and they're going to hurt my family. Right. 
if you don't do anything about that, I think that is wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, then you are letting people die, and that's wrong. Right. So, like, I, both are... It, there's nuance to this. Right. This involved right. that's why this is why we need to know what the Bible says. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We need to examine ourselves and know our own tendencies and know our own hearts. And th- there are levels of conscientious objectors too. I've known some that have said I'm a conscientious objector. I won't do anything to support the war, so I won't even join the army. Others say I'll be a medic. Like the Hacksaw Ridge movie? Like the Hacksaw Ridge movie. That's an awesome movie. It is incredible, yeah. And apparently, it was not totally accurate because they couldn't paint it bad enough. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was even worse than that, apparently. Wow. But, uh, yeah. But this guy said, I really don't want to kill, but I'll I'll rescue. I'll, I'll be a medic. And... He saved like 50 guys, what was it? Some of them he actually physically carried out. But he was messed up for the rest of his life. Oh, for sure. Because the way he got shot and uh, injured and all of that. So, I believe that. Yeah. So we're not, we're not here to condemn war, and we're not here to tell you to go sign up for the you know, war tomorrow either. <laughs> right. Um, it's, there, there's nuance. It's a, it's yeah. a gray area. Now that's like, like I said though, I mean like I, I guess I, I have to put war in a different category from self-defense is, is my major point here. Okay. That that's I, fair. I, I think, I think we are always called to preserve life. I think that yeah. is what the point is above all else. But let me say this too. We have to also keep in mind, God never like if we start looking at America, for instance. We're, we're I'm, I'm sure many people listening to this are Americans. Um, we often look at ourselves as this like moral beacon of light to the world. Um, so we kind of justify, I think, in our heads that if we're going to war, it's to uphold the righteousness of God and uphold godly values in the world and all that. At that point, we're crusaders. Hmm. Like, the God never intended the gospel to be spread through violence. Right. He never intended his truth to be spread through war or to through conquering people. It's through meekness and love and compassion and kindness and goodness. Um, that doesn't mean there's no place for war, but what I'm saying is we can't justify it war by saying oh you know we're just trying to spread the light of god to the world you know what i mean right because right. that, that like war is not good war is bad like we shouldn't want war we right. should like it's it's got to be a last ditch resort yeah. is the thing yeah um yeah but it is a reality it's a real 100 it's a reality yeah. and and i i do think uh i do want to talk about what jesus has to say about about weapons as okay. well um because you know you've got the point let's move to that where Jesus uh, tells his disciples basically just go go out with nothing, really. But right, wh- what's he send right. them out with? Their cloak? Yeah. And a walking stick? Uh, this is twice in his ministry. Once he sends out the 12, and then he sends out 70. And in both cases, he says, 
don't take a change of clothing, uh, just carry, you know, carry what you need for the journey. And that's pretty much it. Right. And so uh, I've seen, uh, like, I, I guess what I see there is that Jesus is trying to show them to just rely on God for all they need, mm -hmm. right? That mm -hmm. It's like, you have no means of protecting yourself. You have no means of, of having uh, food or, uh, you know, uh, the comfort of a new change of clothes, anything like that. Like, you're just going to have to rely on God for your needs. And then they come back. And then in Luke 22, 35 through 38, he says, um, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Okay. What then happens is that Jesus goes on to the garden, right? <laughs> right. And so what happens if we jump over to John 18? Uh, we see, where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? First 12 verses, I think. Yeah, I'm looking for a specific one. Oh, we can read the whole thing. Um, I think I know what you're looking for, and it is... is it 12? Um, oh, here it is. It's 11. Um, or 10. Uh, then, 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So uh, that's Caiaphas' servant, right? Right. So... So Judas comes to the garden, and he brings this giant militant group with him. And they're armed, and they're there to right, take Jesus. Right, right. And Peter draws a sword, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Now, clearly... <laughs> Who is a slave and is probably unarmed. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> right, right. But but also... So, I mean, we need to take that into account. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, that's that's worth mentioning. Okay, but also Peter cuts his ear off, which means he's aiming for his head. Let's oh, yeah. keep that in oh, mind, yeah. right? I don't think the intention was to cut off the ear. I think the intention was to take the whole thing <laughs> off. All right, but then Jesus says, put your sword away, and I'm not going to finish that line just yet. The place I hear everybody take this is, well, look, you know, Jesus told them to go get their swords, and he actually said, if you don't own a sword— Go sell your cloak and buy one, right? Okay. But the reason Jesus did that, and I hear everybody say this, the reason Jesus did that is because he's trying to give them an object lesson that you can have your weapon, but you're not really supposed to use it, right? But what does Jesus say after Peter, after he tells Peter to sheath the sword? He says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And I feel like we leave that part out intentionally yeah. because he's saying, Peter, put your sword away. I told you once when you told me I didn't have to go die to get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and now you're trying to cut this guy's head off because he's coming to do what I told you had to be done. 
put your sword away. Let me go be crucified. This isn't the time. This isn't the time. He's not saying this is like some blanket statement, don't use your sword. Saying it's not never the time. It's just this time. He's saying, let me go die like I told you I had to. Why don't we? Why don't we finish that statement? That made me so mad when I read that, because um, I'd never noticed that that's his reasoning. But that is clearly his reasoning there. Um, yeah. So I guess what I'm seeing there is the second time of Peter not understanding that Jesus has to fulfill the prophecy. I I carry a gun often, um, not as often as I used to when I first got it. I I don't know, man. You, you, there is this weird thing. You buy a gun and then all of a sudden you feel like you got to have it on you at all times or you're just going to be killed or something. Anymore, it's like, no, if I'm going somewhere I know is potentially dangerous or if I'm in a situation where there's going to be like thousands of people or something, I will carry a gun concealed because I want to make sure that I can help other people if something goes off. We live in a crazy world. I want to be able to be protected and protect the people I'm with. Um, Have I ever had to use a gun? No. Do I ever want to have to use a gun? No. And I think that that's the exact same thing happening here. Jesus is saying, look, stuff's about to get crazy. You better go buy a sword because people are going to be trying to kill you because they're about to kill me. Hmm. But at the same time, violence is never supposed to be what we resort to as Christians unless it is just the last ditch effort to protect somebody or ourselves. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. It's fair. I don't own a gun. Probably never will. I'm just I don't fault you. I'm not sure I can pull the trigger. They say don't they don't they say don't pull it on somebody if you can't pull the trigger. So I commend you. (laughs) Like I mean One of the things that, it, it, I, I don't know, it may be a big rabbit trail, but I think it's worth uh, mentioning. I lived in Colombia uh, back during the time of Pablo Escobar. And uh, one of those years uh, that we were there, 45% of Colombian families uh, had someone in their immediate family murdered. It was as close to a civil war as anything, and it was all about... Uh, guerrilla movements and drug trafficking. The guerrillas banded with the drug traffickers, providing them protection and doing what they could to destabilize the government. The biggest threat to society in a situation like that is actually not that you might be killed. The biggest threat is the normalization of violence. Right. Um, We, at that point in time, we were building a a large chapel in the seminary. One of the workers fell about 30 feet onto broken uh, brick, and uh, he was messed up. So I got him in my car, got the foreman. We went down to the hospital, and uh, the foreman and the worker went into the... uh, uh, triage area where they were sewing them up and patching them up. And while they were doing that, they whisked some kid who had three bullet holes in him. And, I mean, you could see the bullet holes through the T-shirt that he was wearing. And there was no blood. And uh, I was sitting there with about a dozen other people, and somebody said, oh, do you think he was dead? And it was like... Uh, nine or a ten-year-old girl said, oh yeah, he was dead. I've seen that so many times. It's a, he wasn't bleeding, so he was dead. A nine or ten-year-old girl 
There's no way she should know that. But she did. She did. The worst threat that you face is the normalization of violence. And Columbia's paid the price after that and since then. So to add to that, we should never normalize violence. But I think in our culture, we, we try to protect people from the reality of violence as well. And that's not good that's either. probably another extreme that we need to avoid. And that's just it. Is You, you nailed it there. It's like we, we have to avoid the extremes. Jesus is balanced in everything he does. It's grace and truth. Um, he, he knew when he could be angry and he knew when he should and be. And he was. Oh. There were several times, Scripture says, he was angry. Right. And, I'm, and I mean, like, almost not violently so, but like what we would probably consider to be like outbursts of rage, like flipping tables. If we saw somebody <laughs> in our business flip a table, we'd call the police. Well, he successfully drove the animals out of the temple when there were people trying to sell the animals. I assume they were trying to stop him. Right. And they couldn't. Right. So, like... There's a time and a place for aggression. There's a time and a place for anger. There's a time and a place to be timid and mild and, and simple. Yeah. Like, yeah. we always overcorrect one way or the other. Like, it's like you're either a pacifist or you want to go kill everybody tomorrow. And it's like, no, like, use your head. God gave you yeah. logical reasoning. Let's think this through biblically and let's do the right thing today. Um I'm glad Randy and I could take this time to just bless you all with our sage-like wisdom and, <laughs> and to inform you on our perfect answer here. Um, so one final question. <laughs> is war bad? Yes. War is terrible. But sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary. That's not to say I always trust the reasons we are at war. <laughs> True. But, but if we're at war, what are you just going to do? Are you just going to lay down and die? Like, are we supposed to do that? I don't think so. I don't think we're just supposed to to not defend ourselves and the people around us. I don't believe that. And I don't think the Bible makes much of a case for that. Um, I don't think we should go looking for war. I don't think we should want war. I don't think we should trust everything our governments say about war. Um, Christian nationalism is not good. We shouldn't do that either. There's my quick little plug on that. We won't even get into that, but that's that's bad too. Don't do that. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it. There's a lot of nuance here. the The point is, don't just don't just think this is a simple answer. It's not right. a simple answer. It's not. It is not. Um. But also, don't demonize somebody for their position on this, and understand that they're the. The the only people that bother me on positions like this are the people that have just dug their heels in without reason. The dogmatics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I believe that because that's what I was raised to believe. Okay, well, that's a stupid reason to believe anything. You shouldn't believe anything just because you were raised to believe it. You should believe it because you know why it's true. Right. And that's what we need right. to do and be right. very careful to do. Jesus is the truth. He's the light of the world. And truth is something you have to seek out and understand. Yeah. And that's what we're called to do, to seek out and understand the truth. And we do if we read our Bibles and think about the world through the eyes of Jesus. So cool. Well, I think we pretty much solved world peace at this point, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think we brought it about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe everything you hear in a podcast either. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? And, and we got a 
I don't know. We're at the 59-minute mark. That's pretty good timing, honestly. Um, <laughs> we almost always hit right around an hour. So. Yeah. So heads up, good time to talk about this. I actually just signed our soul away today, I think is a way to <laughs> – just kidding. Um, I signed a contract today for um, 10 episodes at least. Uh, then it will be month by month after that. Uh, with a company called Life Audio, which is a Christian uh, media group. It's uh, they're owned by the Salem Media Group, um, and it's a podcast hub. Like it's a, it's a yeah, it's a it's a bunch of podcasts. Randy and I kind of talked about it, and uh, yeah, so there's we're some work with marketing them for a bit. there, and so so the things you guys are gonna notice here <laughs> later this month is we're going to have some ads on our episodes. We have not had that previously. Um, there will be. Uh, and so... And it's not necessarily Christian ads. It's could be cars. Could it, be... it sounds like most of them will be. They're very okay. selective about who they do advertise okay. with, so it's not going to be like, you know, something that we're probably not going to agree with. Oh, and also... We, and we have the chance to say, no, we're, we're not going to support that. And I think that that's kind of a loose... Okay. Way that we go about that, but it's like they're not going to put stuff on here that we're just going to think is like right. morally wrong. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, the, you you will have some ads, uh, but you know, hopefully, what happens with this is that we can have more outreach um, because we're going to basically they use all of their podcasts, and some of their podcasts are with like Barnabas Piper, John Piper's son. Um, who was it? Cluck from ESPN. Um, like there's, there's some big ones. Okay. Uh, and, and they all use each other's networks for advertising. And so this is an opportunity to get, get our ministry heard by more people. And we appreciate that and we hope it goes well. And uh, so sorry if you hate ads, <laughs> um, but if you really, really hate ads, I mean, there are ways of pressing the skip button or whatever you can do it. But <laughs> Please, you know, also maybe don't do that. Actually listen to the advertisers, please. But but yeah, that's all. So thank you guys for listening. If you've got questions, uh, you can hit us up at saltysaints at becomehope.com or questions at becomehope.com. And until next time, stay salty. This, this is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories. And our destination dreams with abide sleep stories for kids you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about god to find these kids bedtime stories go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for abide stories for kids you can also download the abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com